Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Man, you guys ready to get into the Word of God? It's going to be awesome. There is a passage that we're about to study that is absolutely stunning. And we're going to be talking about miracles. Do you know that God still does miracles today? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so our, our leadership at this church, we talk about miracles as if they're fact. We talk about them as if they're kind of an everyday occurrence. And we have seen such tremendous miracles in this place. As a matter of fact, there's been so much healing and everything that, that we're going to be reading about healing. We're going to be reading about some pretty extreme stories in the Bible. And at the end of this message, I will actually pray for healing here in the service. So what I would like to do is just kind of set the tone of getting our heads in the right place, focusing that God is alive, active, and with us. So I'm just going to pray for us as we get started so that God would begin to move even while we're studying and learning about his word. Amen? Let's go ahead and do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are so uh, grateful that you would allow us to hang out with you and to be able to know these these rather personal and secret things out of your word. I pray, Lord, not only that we would be able to receive the message today, that we would have the power to do something with it, but Holy Spirit, we are going to engage with you and ask of you if you would touch our lives in a supernatural fashion, in a way that would bring about actual transformation. So we are inviting you to not only walk among us, but we are asking you if you would touch each and every one of us in a healing manner. May there be greater signs and wonders in this place to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I need you to take out your Bible, and I need you to take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. I'm going to get you where we need to go in just a moment, but I'm going to draw your attention to the fill-in-the-blank. We are in part 18 of our Empowered Church series, Walking Through the Book of Acts, and indeed, we're going to talk about miracles. Miracles never seem to happen the way you think they should. Have you ever prayed about something and it didn't happen? Yeah. You ever seen a miracle? You know, I have seen a lot of miracles. But then all of a sudden I'll be praying about something and I'm all in on it. And it doesn't seem to go the way that I think it should. You know, recently I just had a couple tough weeks. Uh, recently, my, my puppy dog, right? I'm, I'm a huge dog lover. I'm an animal lover, right? I, 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 you know, unless a bird has personality, I struggle there. But that's not important. In general, I really, really love, I love animals. And they become family members to me. You know, I don't know if it was because I was raised on Disney. I don't know what it was. But I, I think about them as family members. You know, I refer to my dog as one of my kids. And, you know, oh, mom's upstairs, that kind of stuff. You know, and for nine years, my dog has been my buddy, right? So Bella is her name, and she's a King Charles Cavalier. So she's like a little lady in the tramp type dog. And, and we just do everything together, you know. And... So she has been going through heart failure. So one of the things about King Charles Cavaliers is that their heart valves fail. And so she's been struggling. We've had her on meds, and then we had her on a little bit more meds. And so I'm, I'm praying about this because I was thinking to myself, you know, as a dog, there should be a benefit to having a pastor as an owner. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? You know, like if you go into a pet store, the dog's like, me, me, pick me, right? You know, <laughs> maybe you can heal me. Or, you know, that would be sweet. So... I was, I was talking to the Lord about this, and I, and I was even starting to help him with his theology. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was sharing with him, you know, going, okay, so here's the deal. Like, I know sometimes you, you can't heal certain people to mess with their heads, and this is a dog. So this is, she's not going to tell other dogs about it. We're going to keep this within the family. There's no real theological challenge here. So if you could just heal her. I mean, this is an easy one. It's just a puppy dog, right? And I'm her caregiver. She's under my care, and I'm just saying, Lord, she's really struggling. Three days ago, we had to put her to sleep. She, uh, she's gone, and that's not what I wanted. That's not, it seems so easy. It seems so obvious. It seemed like God could just, you know, you know he could just whisper the word, and it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. You guys, I have seen tumors disappear. I have seen cancer be healed. 
I've seen pain get eradicated. I have seen so many miracles, and yet when my dad was dying of brain cancer five years ago, he died. You understand what I'm talking about? Like, it doesn't go the way you think it should go. And it leaves you with this mind-bending concept of, like, I don't even know what to count on. I don't even know what to understand. I don't know what to pray for. I don't know how this whole thing works. And, and, and you're left with kind of a mess. And you start making assumptions on God's nature by how you're viewing things. Is God good? You start questioning him. You guys, to fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. God's miracles are messy, but they're powerful. God's miracles are messy, but they're powerful. I don't know if you come from a tradition where you believe in miracles, that they happen today. Uh, you are in an environment where they happen quite a bit. But we're going to talk about this in Scripture, and we're going to talk about a lot of the practicals, a lot about the whys. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to be taking some notes and be throwing some stuff at you pretty fast here. But it's all going to begin by turning to the book of Acts. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 32? Acts chapter 9, verse 32. In our series, we shifted from a character named Saul, who's going to become a major character in the story later on. It kicks back over to kind of the big dog of the apostles. His name is Peter. We know that he is Simon Peter, who's a fisherman. He was kind of the de facto leader of the new Christian movement. And so we're going to go right into his activity as we begin. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. We're going to read a little bit, talk about it a little bit, read a little bit, talk about it. Here we go. Acts 9, 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in a city named Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Okay. Man, that was pretty easy, <laughs> right? I mean, this guy's life went from tragic to awesome in like four verses, right? And and, you know, you read that stuff and you're like, man, if Peter can really roll like that, I mean, if he can just heal at a, at a whim and, and at will, he's got to go Oprah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's got to go, you get a miracle, you get a miracle. No, you get a miracle. And he should just roll into like hospitals and just start emptying them out. You know what I mean? If I had that kind of like authority and power, it's like you just roll your windows down. You know what I'm saying? As you're driving along, you just start healing people on bicycles as they're driving by, you know, and they're free. Ah! And then they fall over and see them another miracle. It's, it's awesome. And, and you're like, well, gosh, it seems so easy. But it's really not like that. You read these stories and the temptation is to read the Bible backwards. Oh man, I know the end of that story. Oh, it went like this. Oh, I know that Lazarus thing. The dude gets up. Hold on. You're not reading it right. Read it. Get into it. Sit in it emotionally and let it resolve. You are not going to understand the pain of being paralyzed for eight years if you read it backwards. Oh, yeah, 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 but he was good. He wasn't good for eight years. I don't know what happened before that, but that is messed up. You're like, yeah, you know, I had a chronic condition. Hold on. We're talking about the ancient world. Nowadays, if you're paralyzed, you get one of those beds brought into your house and go on a little button, and you go up, and you're like, oh, daytime TV. You understand what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, you got music, you got options, you got people you can call on the phone. There's no phone. You're all alone. Nobody's with you. Everybody's poor in your area. They don't have time to hang out with you. You are in the prison of your bed day after day, year after year. You got nothing. That was his prison. Eight years. What does that do to you? Chronically in bed day after day after day with no access. The, nothing in this passage says that this guy's a Christian, right? It doesn't say that. It says he knows Christians, but it doesn't say he is a Christian. But let's say, let's say he's a Christian. How many times do you pray for healing in eight years of being bedridden? I mean, probably quite a few, yeah? 
And when you hear, if you hear nothing or you hear no over and over and over and over and over, you start to make assumptions. So God, you don't care about my situation, right? You don't care about my pain. You don't care about what's going on with me. You don't care about my hurt. And you start making assumptions on his nature. You see, it's really, really mind-bending when you know God can, but he's not. And I think every Christian has to walk through this. Every Christian has to walk through the reality that God can, but it's not happening. So what's going on? It's not random. It's not accidental. Who gets healed? Who doesn't get healed? It's purposeful. So what is the purpose? Right? I mean, isn't that what we're all trying to sort out? So let's talk about the purpose in suffering, why God allows suffering for his kids. Because in one sense, you're like, Lord, I understand why you didn't heal that guy down the street. He's a jerk. But Lord, I'm one of your kids. So let's talk about this. Why does God heal some and not heal others? And where did this suffering thing come from? And I thought if we were his kids, he would take care of us in a different way. So let's talk about it. All right, so let's zoom all the way back. There's a couple passages in Scripture that should settle your perspective on this once and for all. First one is God's plan for mankind was Eden. What is Eden like? Everything's good. His children are safe. They're experiencing his presence. They're experiencing all of his blessings. It is a matter of fact, it is the perfect scenario. They have access to the tree of life. Therefore, death is not a thing. That no longer steals from them. God has this place front-loaded for adventure and joy and wonderment. We chose otherwise. We chose suffering. God said, if you eat of this tree, you will what? Surely die. He's like, I'm not warning you as if I'm going to punish you. I'm telling you, when you step outside of me, you're stepping outside of anything good. That means everything bad. I don't want that for you. Don't walk into danger. Do not walk away from me because I'm your protector. Do not step outside my identity for you. You're going to get lost. What I'm telling you right now is you can't handle being away from me. Don't do it. And we did. We chose suffering. We broke the world and we broke people. You tell me what suffering is occurring in the world right now that doesn't have to do with a broken world or broken people. We chose this. This is our decision. Now, we know that God's bigger plan is he's in the process of restoring and helping and rescuing, and he's ultimately going to fix it and bring us to all his children to heaven. We know all that. So he's already working on it. But in the meantime, we're in a world of danger. Like we're in a sketchy place, right? But lest we ever allow our circumstances to bend our theology, it says, and God loved us so much. Now, he loved the world. It means he loved the rebellious. He loved those that didn't believe in him, didn't want to follow him, didn't want to like him. He loved them so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says it is God's will that none shall perish but all have eternal life. God's intention for people, God's love for people should never be in question. It's been settled once and for all. Jesus said, I will go to extreme lengths to rescue you. I so badly don't want pain for you. I'll take the pain for you. So no matter what suffering is going on, the question is never, does God not love me? That's been solved. But we're still left with an awful lot of questions, yeah? So we're going to walk through them. As a matter of fact... We have to process why God allows suffering. Suffering is a continual lesson, a continual reminder to align with God, right? As a matter of fact, it's the consequence of saying no to God that's necessary. We learn through boundaries. We learn through corrections. We learn through saying, wow, that didn't work, right? So we should be learning our lesson. Here's what's interesting to me. Every time God heals, he ruins his plan. The question is not why doesn't God heal more? The question is why does God heal ever? Because it ruins the consequences of sin. What do I mean? Hey, I'm going to trash my body, trash my body, trash my body. Fix it. Yeah? Isn't that what we're praying for? Oh, something bad went down. 
yeah, I know, that's because sin got let in the world. Yeah, but I want you to cancel out those ramifications, and I just want you to make it all cool. Well, well, hold on, I told you that if you do that, you will die. And if I tell you that, but then I keep fixing all your stuff, is there really any consequence? At what point does it become enabling? At what point does it become unhealthy? At what point does it become spoiling that you can do whatever you want in rebellion to God, but he'll fix it? Y'all tracking with me? Something's weird about healing, but yet God still does it. Why? Even though it violates his greater plan, even though it violates the whole point, this is not heaven. Heaven's later. But when we keep praying, we're saying, make this heaven, make this heaven, make this heaven. But he's saying, whoa, 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 I only want to make it heaven when I can get rid of the bad guys and I can get rid of the sin so you can be safe. This is not safe yet. Yeah, but I want you to make it heaven. It's not. I know, I know, I know, but just for me. That's what we keep saying, right? But that's not how it should go. But yet God keeps healing anyway. Why? I think it's because of his compassion for his people. I think he's saying, you know what? I will take the hit. And yes, it's going to be confusing and everyone's going to be like, see, I can do whatever I want. I know it's going to mess with a lot of people's heads, but I love you so much. Sometimes I'm just going to break the rules. And that's beautiful. But we do have to ask the question of why doesn't God heal Christians more? Why doesn't God heal people more? I mean, it seems like we've seen a lot, but goodness gracious, as many miracles as I've seen, the vast majority of prayers, I got a wah, wah, right? Like, like I, was, I went in for prayer. I, you know, was a couple of them, man, I came in hot. I came in very confident and very strong and nothing, right? And so why doesn't healing occur more often? So I want to look through it practically. You guys know me. I'm going to go through a practical lens. So really, there's three people involved in the process. You have the source of all healing, which is God. He has to be present or nothing's going to happen. You have the person who is the conduit or the healer, meaning you, hey, I'm sick. I'm going to go in for prayer. Somebody's praying for you. Whoever that person is, that's the healer. And then the healee, which is not a word, the person that needs the healing, right? So there's three people involved. If there's no healing that occurs, one of them or multiple of them are the reason. You understand what I'm talking about? There's no outside. There's nobody else. It's one of those three. So let's start walking through it. Is it because of God? Is it because God says no? Possibly. Why would he say no? Ramification for sin. Now, some people actually go, well, the reason there's no miracles is God shut off all his power and miracles don't exist today. I do not believe that is sustainable in scripture. That is not an appropriate theology. So I don't think that is true. But... Can God decide not to heal something or someone or at this time? Yes, he can. He's in charge, right? Does he need to allow the ramifications for sin to go on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what makes the difference in God's mind between when he heals and when he doesn't if it's not random? I refer to this, and if you've been under my teaching for a long time, this is old hat for you, but I refer to the theology of suffering, excuse me, the theology of glory. It blends the theology of healing and the theology of suffering into one. You're going to go, oh, where would I find more about that? You wouldn't. I made it up. <laughs> theology of glory says this, there are times when God receives glory through our suffering. Now, I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's a cop-out, and you're just trying to excuse yourself because you can't do enough miracle. Hold on, hold on. The book of Job. Why is it in the Bible? Because that guy ended up getting trashed. But for what purpose? It actually wasn't about him. God got glorified because this guy got tore up by Satan and yet still chose God. And glory rose and Satan was embarrassed his suffering allowed glory to rise to God. Is that correct? Well, that happens a lot in little ways. Paul's thorn in his flesh. We could go through this whole list, right? So sometimes suffering is purposeful. Sometimes suffering leads to God's glory. But at the same time, sometimes healing and miracles lead to God's glory. You're going to find out the stories we're going to read about today. Tons of people got saved. Glory rose up to God. Wow, people were trashed and God rescued them. Yay, God. So what's the difference? What makes the decision between whether we leave the suffering or we cause the healing? Glory. 
Which one is more appropriate for God's glory in his greater plan in a way that is higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts? That's what makes a difference. You and I can't track on it, but it is not random. Does that make sense? It's very purposeful. Okay. Second, what about the person doing the healing? Is there a breakdown there? Are we not seeing more healing because something is wrong with the healer, the conduit? Is it possible there's not more healing because the church is failing to do its job? Because, I mean, let's think about it practically. We are called the body of Christ. That means he's the head, we're the body. He gets to make the call, we carry it out. What did Jesus do when he was here? He healed people, cast out demons, gave hope, shared the good news. Did he not? That's what he did. When he left, he said, all right, now you guys do it. And we're supposed to be his active agents, but most of us aren't doing any of that. So does that mean there's a whole bunch of people that are struggling that could have answers to their prayer if you and I would only do our job? Yeah, that is possible. Now, some people take it to the extreme. It's all the church's fault. God wants to heal everybody at every time, and if anyone is not healed, the church is a failure. Hold on, I don't believe that. Why? Because there's times when God didn't heal everyone. There's times when Jesus stepped over people to get to one person that he healed. So I don't believe that at all. But I think there is a responsibility upon the church to do our job. I think the world's having a lot of hurt because we're not being the ambassadors we were called to be. So that does matter. So let's talk about the healee, the person that is supposed to receive the healing. Is it possible that they're doing something wrong? Is it possible that something is amiss? And you're like, whoa, 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 hold up, pastor. You're in a very dangerous place right now. You are about to say a stupid line. Don't say it, right? Well, you're in the wheelchair because you don't have enough faith to be healed, right? Anybody ever heard that? I don't agree with that. But I do have to ask the question, does faith matter? Because Jesus kept using this phrase when he would heal people. Your faith has made you well. Do you remember that? What does that mean? Does it mean if you don't have faith, you are not well? Huh, I don't know, but it sure seems to be kind of a thing he said a lot. And so this is where people are like, ah, okay. So if you don't have enough faith, you're not being healed. So you are not, you're not confident enough. You're not, you're not believing hard enough. Hold on a second. Sure sounds like you're talking about Star Wars and not the Bible. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself treating faith like the force? You ever done that? Because here's how it works in Star Wars. In Star Wars, there's these guys called Jedis. And Jedis are like Luke Skywalker and the little green Yoda guy and stuff like that. And so... Luke Skywalker, the way that he trains is that the Force says that you have the ability to influence your world, and what you do is you harness universal energy, which is the Force, and you do that by focusing very hard. As a matter of fact, they got him like upside down, he's doing a handstand, and he's trying to move rocks, and, and it's like focus, if it's focus, breaks, the rock falls, right? And then when he gets better, he puts a little green guy on his back, and he's running through the forest and flipping and all that kind of stuff, and it's like, ooh, sweet, you're focused. Unfortunately, that's how most of us are acting towards faith. You've got to believe more. You've got to be more confident. You've got to actually say, no, 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 it's going to happen, going to happen, going to happen, going to happen, going to happen. And if you ever break that, you just lost it. Here's my problem. You just made it a force and not a person, and that's a problem. You just slipped out of Christian theology. No, 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 you're partnering with someone. You're not harnessing an it. You understand what I'm talking about? So this whole business about you are not focused enough, that's why you're still sick, is not biblical. So what does the faith mean? Well, here's what's interesting. My bigger question about all this is faith in what and how much faith do you need? Because Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, remember he was talking about the tiniest thing he could find. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can what? Move mountains. So obviously you don't need a lot of it. So faith made them well in what way? Here's what I believe. I believe they had just enough faith to turn towards the healer. That was it. Their faith allowed them to go to the one that heals. Because think about it this way. If you were looking for a healing and you went to the occult, you'd be putting your faith in the occult. Is that correct? 
So you actually have to turn towards someone that will really heal you if you're going to be healed. Is that correct? So when he said your faith made you well, he went, your faith led you to me. I'm the one that does the healing. You guys, I don't think it's a matter of harnessing and believing harder. I think it's turning the right direction to the right one. Amen? But yeah, there's all kinds of complications. So let's get back into the story. So Peter comes in, he meets this guy, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Now, why does he say that? Not everybody says that. There's a ton of healing in the Bible, and a bunch of people don't say that. But that's kind of like his thing. And we know that because one day he's walking to the temple. We covered this story. He's walking to the temple with John. There's a paralyzed guy at the gate. And the paralyzed guy's like, hey, do you have any cash? And he's like, I don't, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He invokes the name of Jesus there too. Then later on, people are like, oh my gosh, you're a superhero. And he's like, hold on. Why do you keep looking at me as if somehow by my holiness... I made this guy well. No, no, let's be clear. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that this man before you is made well. Why did he keep invoking the name of Jesus? He didn't have to out loud. Now, any good theologian knows any healing is done through the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way that somebody is healed. Okay, cool, but why do you have to say it? In my opinion... He's being a teacher, minister, and he's correcting everybody's theology ahead of time. Why? Because there's a time when you're going to find out in this book, Paul the Apostle heals somebody, and the whole town thinks he's a god. They bring gifts to him. They start trying to do sacrifice. He loses his mind. He's like, what is wrong with you people? I'm a regular guy. I think Peter just cuts that off, and he's like, hey, can we all be clear real quick? I'm not fancy. God is fancy. All right, sweet. So he says, Jesus Christ heals you. And then he says a phrase that is super weird, and it leads me to two major questions. Here's what he says. Get up and make your bed. Okay, first question. What is your deal with tidiness? Like, (laughs) the guy just got healed. He's like, I got stuff to do. I don't want to clean today, (laughs) right? Like, why are you like, hey, make sure you tuck those sheets in? You know, it's like, that is so weird. Why would he say something like that? Well, because we know he's a Jesus copycat. And Jesus said that. Do you guys remember this? A paralyzed guy gets lowered through the roof. Jesus heals him, and he said, take up your mat and go home. Like, make sure you grab your gear. Don't leave that trash here. (laughs) You're like, wow, Jesus, you're very much about neatness. That's interesting. And he said it over and over and over. Why was he telling everybody to grab their stuff? Well, Peter can't say that because the guy's already home, right? Take up your bed and go home. He's like, well, funny thing about that, we're at my house, so that's not going to work. So he's like, uh, make it then. (laughs) Okay, I'll make it. Why does he say that? I believe it is in the act of picking it up that there was a transformation emotionally in them. That which once held them bound, that which once was their prison, they were now in control of. It became their identity, and Jesus just re-racked their identity. Forever after it held you, now you get to pick it up. You own it. You've been set free. You guys, being healed physically is one thing. Being transformed emotionally is different. God was doing some powerful stuff. Second thing that I thought was so interesting is how confident Peter was. Because how lame would it have been, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And he's like, really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's happening. (laughs) And he's like, well, not really. And he's like, yeah, my bad. (laughs) And he walks out. Right? He's like, totally thought that was going to work. How did he have so much confidence? Because I would love that confidence. Like, he's so sure that he's tracking with the Lord that he already knows what's going on. This is what I pray about in this church, that I would be able to know God's will as he's moving so I'm not needlessly saying stuff I shouldn't say. I would love that confidence. You're going to see it in Paul, too. He'll look over, and he sees this guy who can be healed, and he's like, get up right now. And there's this confidence and boldness. Where does that come from, right? I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, it comes from usage. 
I'm way more confident in my prayers now than when I first started. You kind of get a groove with God. You figure out what your level of anointing is. You find out what he wants to do through you. Oh, is this an all-day thing? Is this a once-a-lifetime thing? What is going on with us? When you get that groove, you get a confidence. So I'm much more bold in my prayer. But Peter was a little bit different. He was so anointed that, if you remember, it said people brought out sick people and demon-possessed people just so his shadow would pass over them and they would be healed by his shadow. If your shadow's healing people, you can probably be pretty confident, right? You can just come in and go, yep, you're getting up today. You need to get up. And it says immediately he got up and he was all better. And that's like, that's what I'm talking about. And we even have people that are like, that is all biblical healing. If you say that there's biblical healing, it's always complete and instantaneous. That's what Jesus did. It's the only way. You haven't even read your Bible. I'm going to give you five ways that God heals. If you're a note taker, write this down. Number one, write this down. Instantaneous and complete. Instantaneous and complete. That's what we just witnessed. And as a matter of fact, those tend to make it in the Bible more. Why? Because mellow miracles didn't make the cut. Oh, and then Bob had a hangnail. And Peter healed it. You know, and there's like, yeah, it's boring. There's a bunch of internal stuff. How would you ever know? So it tends to blind people saw, deaf people heard, paralyzed people walked. There's a pretty consistent way of saying, that's a big deal. Everyone could see it. It's a sign and wonder. Let's move on. Those made the cut. Remember, the Bible is only a tiny fraction of what really occurred. It's little samples. Those are the samples that made it. All right, write down number two. Second way that God heals. Delayed and progressive. Delayed and progressive. Delayed means there's a pronouncement of healing made, but there's no effect immediately. But later on, the fulfillment happens. Like later that night, could be the next day, could be a couple days later. The progressive or gradual fulfillment means it starts small, there's a little bit of impact, but it keeps getting more and more and more and leads to a full healing. This is where people are like, oh, well, now pastor, you're just making stuff up. Nope. John chapter four. Jesus is asked by a guy, hey, my son is sick at home. Would you heal him? Jesus said, go, your son will be well. Do you remember this? He proclaims healing. If you continue to read the story, it says on his way home, two of his servants arrive, and, and he says, how's my son doing? They said, he's recovering. When did he begin to recover, it says? Well, his fever left him yesterday, and he's getting better. That's called progressive. You guys tracking with me? That was a biblical Jesus healing. All right, write down number three. Partial or multi-step. Partial or multi-step. Partial means God heals a portion of your concern, but not all of it. Multi-step means sometimes you need multiple prayers to create the full breakthrough for the full healing. Once again, is that biblical? You better believe it's biblical. Mark 8. Jesus comes up to a blind guy in a town called Bethsaida, and he kind of goes extreme on this dude. Spits right in the guy's eyes. And the guy's like, oh, you got me, right? And then he's like, and he's like mushing it into his eyeballs, which is very personal. And and then he's like, open your eyes. How you doing? And the guy's like, I see walking trees. Do you guys remember this story? He means it's super blurry. And then it says, and Jesus laid his hand upon him again, and he could see. That's called multi-step. Now, real quick, this might be very uncomfortable for some of you. If it is a multi-step healing and you stop after step one, what happens? You don't get it all. How many of those are still lingering out there? Because you prayed once, you went, oh, I guess we got a little bit, and you stopped. What if you were supposed to keep praying breakthrough, pray breakthrough, pray breakthrough, pray breakthrough? What if you were supposed to do that and you just decided to say, I guess that's not a thing? But what if it is a thing? What I'm saying is, if we're tracking with the Lord, sometimes the Lord's like, all right, hit it again. Hit it again. Let's go. Hit it again. Would God ever do that? I don't know. Naaman had to wash how many times? Seven times in the river before he was healed. Interesting. All I'm trying to tell you is God gets to pick how it works. You're like, well, what's the formula? That's the point. There's no formula. We all want a formula because it puts us in charge. No, 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 no. We are reliant on 
someone who gets to make the call. You understand what I'm talking about? That means sometimes he'll say no and you'll be embarrassed. And that's on him. He's allowed to make that call, right? All right, here we go. Number four, you ready? Write this down. Temporary. This is the most maddening of all categories. I hate this category. Temporary means you had a major effect. You go home, it's super cool for like two days, and then it all comes back. There is nothing that will mess with your head faster than a temporary healing. So what in the world is going on there? Does that really happen? Yes, it does. I've seen it happen many, many, many times. What happened? Well, we got a couple options. The first one is God intended not to remove it, but to give you a break. Is he allowed to give you a break? Well, yeah, I think actually you tend to pray for it as well. God, my back is hurt, my back is hurt, my back is hurt for weeks and weeks and weeks. God, I'm like going insane here. Can you just give me a break? Is he allowed to do that? Because what he's saying is, hey, kiddo, I, there's purpose in this right now. I can't take it all away, but I hear your heart. I'll give you a break. And then it returns. Is that possible? It is. Is that what's happening? Probably sometimes. But there's more to it, I think. Some people go really far to the extreme because I truly believe there's some parts about retaining our healing that we do not yet know, that we have not yet fully discovered, that we don't have nailed down. But some people take it to the extreme and they believe that every single healing immediately invites demonic warfare and you got to you got to fight for every healing you got. And unfortunately, what they mean is, when you leave, don't, you think that, don't ever think that it could come back. Like, if you allow any doubt in there, now you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. And it's like, fight, 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 fight on every healing. I don't go that far. But I do think that there is something, especially when it involves the demonic. You're like, would the demonic ever be involved in anything physical? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Bible says that. If the demonic is involved and you think they're not coming back in and bringing heat, they're probably going to do that. And the Bible talks about spiritual warfare by saying, take your stand, hold your territory. I gave you territory. Don't let them have it back. Okay. Is there a part of that? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Give me an example. Do you guys remember the story of King Saul, the first king of Israel? Anybody remember what his problem was? A tormenting spirit. Do you guys remember this? So he's like having this psychosis, mental health issue stuff. Everybody's looking at him. Oh my gosh, he's going insane. Well, it was actually demonic in nature. And so they were like, one guy comes up with it and he's like, we need a harpist, which is not normally the way that I would solve a problem, but that's cool. And so they find this young guy named what? David. So he later becomes King David, one of the most famous kings of Israel of all time. David comes in, and he plays his little harp. Da-ling, 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 da-ling. He's playing this thing. And Saul's like, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better. And the demon's like, I hate that music. And he leaves. <clears throat> and then you find out that, that after David's gone, it comes back. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going insane again. He's like, da-ling, da-ling, da-ling. Right? And he plays it again. And you're like, wow, that was very temporary. Well, it was. Okay, so there's a lot of scenarios like that. Write down number five. You ready? Natural means. Natural means. You're like, hold on, uh, excuse me, sir. I beg to differ because by definition, supernatural is supernatural, not natural. So if it's natural means, it's not a miracle. And I would say, listen here, smart aleck. How dare you say that? First of all, what I mean is it looks like natural means. It's not natural means, but it looks like natural means. Let me give you an example. Quick question for you. Does surgery always work? Does medicine always work? Okay. What makes a difference? You don't know. It's like an X factor, right? Okay, I'm going to tell you that God is in the X factor. So in other words, is it possible that God would move through the gifts he gave you last time, which are called medicine and technology and all this stuff? The only reason we have those is God gave them to us in the first place. Luke, who wrote in the Bible was a physician that traveled with the team. Medicine is part of the gig. God was very kind to us. When we, he also gave us bodies that tend to 
redesign themselves and heal themselves. If you get a little bit of cut, you don't go, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. You realize you watch it and over time it fuses back together. It clots and it actually heals. That's super weird. If you broke your leg, would you go, I'm not going to the hospital. I will pray. And then God goes, wow, you're stupid. And then, and then you end up getting a splint on your leg and then you realize, oh my gosh, if I keep the bone like that, it will begin to heal. And that's amazing. Okay, that's beautiful. You're like, yeah, but that's natural. Okay, hold on. We have a miracle occurring like this that just happened in our church over the last three years, and his name is Danny White. Danny White is married to one of our staff members. Her name's Michaela. Michaela runs our events and our hospitality ministry here. Three years ago, Danny was diagnosed with a very rare, most likely fatal form of blood cancer. It wasn't traditional leukemia. It was a blood cancer that was very rare, and the prognosis is terrible. So we prayed about it, and we prayed about it, and we prayed about it. There was a little bit of a lift in his numbers, and it would go back down. And a little lift, and it would go back down. We're praying and praying and praying. We love this guy a lot. He's a young dad. He's an amazing man of God. I absolutely love this guy. So we're just praying with all our heart, and it's just not really doing much. All of a sudden, the doctors are like, hey, dude, let me just tell you this. We only got one shot. I don't know if you're going to make it through it, but what we're going to do is we're going to nuke your body with chemo to the point of death, and we are going to rebuild you if you make it. That's the plan. So they did that. As a matter of fact, he had to go away and live by the hospital for months and all this stuff, and they just trashed his body. He was on the edge of death's door. They then brought in, it was bone marrow issues, so then they had a match in his family, and then they were beginning to re do stem cell stuff, and they're starting to rebuild him, and, and it's like, I don't know if this is going to work. We're praying, and we're praying, and we're praying. Listen, last week, he got his blood work done. Not only is he cancer-free, all of his blood levels are now in the normal range. Amen? <laughs> Danny is going to live. You tell me, is it a miracle? But it looks like natural means. Yeah, but what makes a difference? Because everyone else dies in that process. So what made him live? All I'm trying to tell you is that God can move through natural means. And sometimes God's solution to your prayer is simply giving fatherly advice. Give me an example. Um, I was having a lot of pain in my knees. I have bad knees. And I was, oh, is it football? No, I never played football. No, I, I, was, I was water skiing, and I would just crash at 32 miles an hour. But, but, so I did all kinds of damage to myself. But I just have bad knees because it's genetic, and if my mom was here, I would blame her. Anyway, she was at the last service. So um, anyway, I got bad knees, and so they were really hurting. I was going to the gym. I was taking anti-inflammatories, and it was just hurting week after week after week. I had so many people praying for me. I was praying, praying, praying. God fixed my knees. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And then all of a sudden, it just dawns on me out of nowhere. Dude, you eat a lot of sugar. Like, like, I have treats after every meal. And then, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it dawns on me, hey, bro, when you go out in the morning, you have your tea drink. Anybody ever heard of a London Fog? Here's what London Fog is. Little bit of tea, tons of sugar. Okay? It's not even like a real drink. You know what I'm saying? And I was, real, I was starting my day with a huge dose of sugar. I cut out all my treats, I stopped the London fog, and my pain went from 100% to 20%. And I, all of a sudden, the, the anti-inflammatory started to work. I removed the pain. Okay, I feel like this is a category where God goes, hey, buddy, come here. If you stop hitting your head with a hammer, <laughs> it's not going to hurt very much. Yeah? Good boy. All right. Good. Okay. So, because here's the funny thing. When we pray about stuff, is it okay for God to give us a solution no matter what the solution is? Right? God, I need it. I need a miracle. Well, you need a little common sense. It's actually what you need. Now, I appreciate miracles don't involve a copay. I do appreciate that. Amen? But you don't have to have insurance with the Lord. Okay? But I don't think everything needs to be a miracle, right? Sometimes God just wants to get you his, his thoughts. And so it says there was a massive revival when this happened because the guy told his story. The power of a testimony is huge, right? 
and it says, and people turn to the Lord. What a beautiful description of what it means to become a Christian. If you are not a Christian today, and there is a number of us in this room, if you are not a Christian today, let me just say it this way, you have always been walking in life the only way you know, which is your way. But what if God is behind you going, hey, real quick, there's more. What he means is turn to his direction. That's actually what the word repent means. It means change your mind. Turn his direction and say, God, what do you have for me? As you begin to walk that, that's where salvation occurs. So here's my encouragement to you. Stop walking your way and turn towards him, and you're going to find that the real you was in him the whole time. You're going to find out that he is greater than you ever imagined. Okay, let's go ahead. You thought that last story was awesome. How about this one? Let's pick up this one. Go to verse 36. Now, there was in Joppa, that's a town, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. All right, real quick, we got to rescue her parents. Okay, so it wasn't like she's like, I want the name Tabitha. They're like, you will be Dorcas. Okay, that, that uh, I just want to be a gazelle. You know, okay, here's the truth. They both mean gazelle. Some things don't translate. In Aramaic, it's Tabitha. In Greek, it's Dorcas. It's the same word. They were always trying to call her little deer. Okay, cool right? It says she was full of good works and acts of charity. That means her faith translated into practical helps. You guys, what would be the impact of us if we did the stuff we intended? I'm the king of intentions. And what if you actually did it? Instead of thinking about texting that person encouragement, you texted them. Instead of thinking about reconnecting with them, you reconnect. Instead of thinking about praying for them, you pray for them. Instead of thinking I should help that person on the street, help them. You understand what I'm talking about? What if we did that? Well, this lady did that, and it had such a dramatic impact on her community. They all showed up to intercede for her. It says, so she became ill and died. She was awesome. Do awesome people die too soon? Yes, they do. Is that hard to handle? Yes, it is. Should it feel weird? Yes, it should. It's heartbreaking. It says they washed her and prepared her for burial in an upper room. And then verse 38, since Lido was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there, that's the healer guy, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. Okay, let's pause. Why are they hurrying? dude, you got to come. Please come really fast. And you're like, well, she's dead. I don't think she's getting worse, right? So why do you want me to hurry? Now, it's possible it was just simply a plea of going, our hearts are hurting so bad. If there's something you can do to alleviate our suffering, can we just hurry that up? Could be that. Could be that they had an ancient Jewish view that the soul hung around the body for two to three days. And they thought, if we hurry, we can get that sucker back in there right? Like don't, that's why he allowed Lazarus to sit there for how long? Four days. Why? He's like, no, seriously, he's gone, gone, right? Okay. So maybe they're doing that. Well, sure enough, he shows up and everybody's like, oh my gosh, she made this for me. She made, isn't this beautiful? Look at this. Oh, this is awesome. This is amazing. What are they trying to do? In my opinion, they're trying to manipulate Peter. They're trying to go, no, she's really awesome. Please do something. Unfortunately, that's how a lot of us pray. God, this one's really important. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this one really matters to me. And then you start bargaining. God, God, if you do this, I'll, I'll do that. You've now stepped into paganism. How do we know that? Because when Elijah was calling down fire against the pagan bad guys, the pagan bad guys tried to get their God's attention by looking desperate. Don't we end up doing the same thing? You do not need to get God's attention. He's watching. You don't need to beg him. He's good. You just need to present it out and say, I know it. 
Lord, would you minister to me? Right? We're not trying to manipulate God. Come on, God, seriously, 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 seriously. He knows. Okay? So it says he puts them all outside. Why does he do that? Well, once again, he's a Jesus copycat. Jesus did the same thing. When Jesus was going to raise somebody from the dead, he was like, Peter, James, John, get in here. Everybody else out. Get out. Get out. Why are they kicking everybody out? Why wouldn't you allow someone to observe a resurrection? There's nothing cooler than that. If you want to talk about apprenticeship, why not show everybody? Why kick them out? Here's my opinion. Because I think they were distracting. I think that Peter was going, guys, I need to hear the Lord. You guys, stop everybody out. Knock it off. We're not doing that. I need to find out what God wants to do here. And he went into prayer. Look at this. It says, and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one named Simon a Tanner. Quick question, why did he kneel down? Does posture matter? And you're like, oh, I hope not. Because <laughs> I've been praying like sitting in a chair. Oh my gosh, I could have better prayers if I would only get out of the chair. That's not true. Posture does matter, but not for the reasons you think. Posture is not for the Lord primarily, it's for you. What do I mean? Your posture is best if it gets your head in the game. That's it. You see, when we were taught how to pray, some of us grew up in the church, especially in the 80s, and we were all taught to fold our hands, put them in our laps, and close our eyes and bow our head. Do you understand that that is not at all the biblical Jewish way to pray? It's like the total opposite. Jews would stand up, lift their arms up, lift their head up to heaven and have their eyes open. <laughs> it's like the opposite. So which one's legit? Both of them are legit. Some people lay prostrate before God. Some people kneel down. Some people stand up. Does it matter? If it matters to get your head connected to God, of course it matters. You guys, sometimes we're in worship and you'll see me over here in the corner and I'll get down on my knees. You're like, oh, he's so holy. <laughs> you know why I'm doing it? Because I can't get my head in the game. I'm struggling. That ain't holy. That's called struggling because my head's all over the place. Right? It's not fancy. Just practical. Yeah? So then he commands her, Tabitha, get up. Why did you do that? Jesus, copycat. Lazarus, get up. He's like, well, Jesus did it. I'm going to do it. So he commands her, wake up. When do you pray asking God, and when do you pray commanding in his name? There are 21 recorded miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, and all 21 he did not petition, he commanded. Why? Here's the rule. When it is clear what you are supposed to do, and you are making this world align with that world, you command in Jesus' name. You never command God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You're not commanding him, you're commanding on his behalf, outward. If it is not clear and you need more information, you petition and you request till it is clear. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, is there another way to do this? That's called petitioning. Both are appropriate, you just use them in different ways. Make sense? All right, cool. It says she opened up her eyes, she sees there's this weird dude in her room, and she sits up hey, who are you, right? He's like, hey, I'm Peter. And he helps her get up. Now, I've never died before, but I hear it's rather disorienting, right? Because you're like, woo, mind bender, right? I'm totally dead. Whoa, I'm back. Oh my gosh, who's this guy, right? You want to know a powerful application to this? When a person becomes saved for the very first time, when a person becomes a Christian for the very first time, and they go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, when they go from a creation of God to a child of God, when they go from a non-believer to a believer, it's very disorienting. You never leave a new Christian alone. You give them your hand and you walk with them until they get their footing. 
you disciple them and you train them until they can walk on their own, then you release. Amen? says this, we have a healing and we have a resurrection. You know what that means? It means this. Number one, how long was the guy paralyzed? Eight years. Here's what it means. Just because your problem is chronic doesn't mean it's impossible. Just let that sit for a second. Because here's what happened. You've had a chronic condition, you prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it, and you got shut down so many times, you think it's impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. You will never pray the same prayer twice. You're going to say the same words, but God moves stuff while you were thinking. Next time you pray, it's a brand new prayer. Next time you pray, it's a brand new situation. Next time you pray, it's going to be a brand new prayer. Make sense? Number two, he raised a girl from the dead. What are you currently struggling with that's worse than death? Nothing. Here's what he did. He called out a shot. He said, I can do this, so anything before that is cake. There is nothing that you are wrestling with that he cannot address. Amen? So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. There may be a couple things that the Lord lays on my heart that I'm going to pray about specifically. But other than that, we're going to be praying. So right now, I just want you to think, Lord, what does that need? Because we're going to pray about it. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we just heard about what you've done. And we know that you're alive and active and you're able to do it and willing to do it today. God, there's some of us that came in desperate for a touch from you. God, all of us can talk about discomforts and problems and challenges, but Lord, there's some of us that can't even focus on the message. Our pain is too great. Our turmoil is too great. Our heart is too broken. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would send your Holy Spirit to begin to minister to us in all those critically wounded areas. God, for all of us that are struggling with mental health issues, would you give us a sound mind in the name of Jesus? We command right now in the name of Jesus, mind be healed, be self-controlled, be dialed in, chemicals be balanced in the name of Jesus. God, there's some of us right now that are struggling with chronic pain, so we speak to our bodies in your name. Bodies, pain be removed, inflammation that is not helpful be gone in Jesus' name. Body, begin to take all that God has given you, restore, regenerate, begin to be healed right now. Just right now, is anyone dealing with chronic back issues? Raise your hand. Chronic back issues. Yep. Okay, there's a bunch of us. All right, we're going to pray right now. In the name of Jesus, we begin to pray and speak right now. Backs be healed. All vertebrae be realigned. All nerves that are pinched be unimpinged in Jesus' name. That all of that muscular memory would be reset right now in the name of Jesus. We begin to pray soothing and healing. All the gel, all the cartilage be restored right here, right now. God, we are just thanking you in advance for the incredible work. Lord, allow us range of motion. So we just begin to say in your name, all balance and range of motion in our back, all stability, all muscles be restored right here in Jesus' name. Uh, Another one, anybody dealing with balance issues? Anybody dealing with balance equilibrium issues? Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple of you guys. Okay. In the name of Jesus, we proclaim to our ears, all crystals in our ears be made right, be settled in the perfect order. Equilibrium be restored in Jesus' name. Balance. Anything in our sinuses be cleared in Jesus' name. Lord, allow all of that to be settled and that our world would right itself. All tinnitus in the ears be restored right here, right now. Ringing, stop. Nothing but peace. Nothing but full hearing. 
In Jesus' name. One last one, and then we'll get out of here. Anybody dealing with problems in your jaw or in your teeth? Anybody got that right now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's do this. God, we lift up our jaws to you right now. And we just say, God, in your beautiful power, we will make it right. In the name of Jesus, we just speak to each and every one of our jaws that are wounded right now. Be set, aligned, no more TMJ in Jesus' name. No more tooth pain. Any decay be restored in Jesus' name. Roots be reconnected. Stability, flexibility, no more pain right here, right now. God, these are the things that we are lifting up to you and so many more. God, there was things that were going on in our lives and we were saying, Pastor, pray about that. Pastor, pray about that. God, you know I can't heal anybody, but you can. You are not stuck in this room. You go with us. So I just pray, Lord, that you would begin to restore us, restore us. Would you anoint the altar that as the prayer team comes forward, there would be further breakthrough right here in this place. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.